Welcome to the latest edition of At The Flicks, your one-stop shop for movie news, interviews and reviews. This particular episode is all about and made in conjunction with the Cheltenham International Film Festival. We'll be talking to the festival's founder, organisers, filmmakers and some of the attendees of the festival. Before we continue, you might have already guessed that something is different. Namely, us, your hosts. I'm Emily. And I'm Kieran. You may well be asking yourselves, where are the old ones who usually run the show? What did you do with them? They needed a rest, so it was tactfully decided they could sit out in the sun. As a result, we had the access to all the equipment and could create a show we want. Nice one. In their absence, we will be telling you all about the Cheltenham International Film Festival. The festival is now in its third year, the last two being online festivals as a result of the pandemic. We were interested in how you put an online festival together. Or even a traditional film festival, as I'm sure they will turn one day, hopefully. What better way to find out than to chat with the festival organisers? Over to Emily to introduce them. I'm Emily, I'm here with Kieran to interview three of the people who helped set up the festival with Jacob Ward, Chris Baker and Patrick Bliss. Hi guys, how are you? Yeah, we're Sorry. good. Yeah. I'm good. Very good, thank you, yeah. yes. Perfect, I'll start with you Jacob. How did you come involved in the Cheltenham International Film Festival and why? So I got involved back in 2019 when it first started. A friend of a friend, I think, knew Leslie and they were looking for some people to watch the short films that are given each year to make a selection of. I'm an actor by trade, so they got me involved. As the festival went on, I watched some of the shorts and, and they wanted some uh, hands actually on the ground in Cheltenham. So, yeah, I volunteered to go across and ended up helping with the photography and the videoing of, of the festival. I just picked up odd jobs from there and just really enjoyed it. That's how I got involved. And then, then it's just kind of spiralled out of control since then. And so how about you, Chris? I was involved for uh, many years with what was originally the Bath Film Festival, now known as Film Bath. And Leslie Sheldon, who's the director of the Cheltenham International Film Festival, approached Film Bath, said, look, I really want to try and establish a film festival in Cheltenham because it's got many other festivals. What it doesn't have is a film festival. Uh, would you guys be willing to help us set up? So, yeah, I got involved initially as a programmer, but course because there are relatively few of us involved and because the workload expands ended up doing lots of other things as well perfect and how about you patrick how did you get involved uh, i programmed the roses theater in tewkesbury which is just up the road from cheltenham so w- when the 2019 festival was announced i was very interested in possibly working together and having the roses as a, as a host festival i had a few conversations with leslie about that then lockdown happened in March last year, and suddenly I found myself in a much bigger role, you know, along with Chris and Leslie, just moved the whole damn thing online, grappling with all the new technology. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I hadn't intended to become such a major part of the festival, but I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. You've all sort of spoken about what you've done previously, but for this year, 2021, what sort of roles and responsibilities did you have? We'll start with Chris. I was involved in programming, so that's rooting out films for the programme, uh, <laughs> the clues in the, in the title. And also, I fulfilled to a large extent the role of populating our platform with files and assets for each of the films so stills and texts and things like that making sure all the files were working correctly so a bit of a technical role as well which somebody else did last year uh, and also keeping a track of the costs and things like that negotiating terms with the sales agents the joys of financing 
Yeah. <laughs> Patrick, what about you? Did you have any change in roles this year? With all of us, really, we're, we're all multitasking. I did a little bit of everything that Chris has just spoken about, well as being tech support for our audience if they have trouble with streaming the films or they can't quite work out what to do in terms of buying a pass. I did quite a lot of the marketing, contacting press and that sort of thing. I managed the affiliate scheme, which is sort of working with our cinema partners to give them commission for sharing with their audience. A bit of everything, really. And Jacob, you were given the sort of responsibility to take care of the students that have been brought on board, like me and Emily, somewhat babysitting us, in a sense. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't say babysitting. <laughs> I, I kind of gave you some instructions and all, all, all of you kind of took to it and, and took them on board and uh, and ran with it. Um, which is how you've, you've got here doing this podcast, which is incredible. Um, yeah, you've done it all without me. Uh, yeah, so I've always been like, um, just like filling in the gaps. Leslie always just turns to me if there's a job that, that, that no one can quite do. And he goes, Jacob, can you do this? And, uh, and I just say yes. And it's worked so far. So uh, I just keep doing that. Just going to say Wh- William Schofield. William Schofield and Emily both did us an excellent trailer. Uh, those were the ones you could see online. Um, when it came to film selection, what was your criteria when it came to looking at films? So my criteria, being an actor, I'm a bit of an acting snob. So my first and foremost, which I kept getting stick for by everyone else, is, you know, I'm very black and white whether it's good acting or bad acting. Um, mm. So that's always my first one, just because that's what I've studied and that's what I know. But um, more generally, unique stories. I love something that I haven't seen before and I, I love things that, that give you some sort of feeling, whatever that feeling is, and, and really take you on a journey, um, something that you get lost in. And what about you, Chris? Were you able to look at any films for the selection? Do you have any criteria for them? I mean, I do a little bit of research. Unlike Jacob, I do read up about the films beforehand. I suppose it's a very tricky thing programming a film festival because on the one hand, you may watch a film of which you are personally wildly enthusiastic but you have to temper that with whether you think it's going to attract an audience so your first port of call is how you personally feel about the film but your second is to ask well how will others feel about it and that that is why programming as a kind of committee I mean a lot of film festivals have a programmer somebody who decides ultimately what the, the programme is going to be. At Film Bath, we've, we always did that differently, and at Cheltenham, we do it differently, in that there's a, there's a programming team. We generally come to a consensus about a title, weighed up with the balance of all the different views. I do agree. I've, I've never done it before, but most of the time I was just thinking about my own opinion, but I had to keep thinking about what are others going to think of it. Um, how about you, Patrick? Did you get a chance to have a look at any of them? Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to actually tot up how many films I did actually see this year. I'm guessing it's probably moving towards the hundreds. And it's just, it's really a case of filtering through. And some of that can be done before you watch, just to, you know, you don't want to spend an hour and a half, two hours watching something if it's just not going to be suitable. There's the sort of artistic credibility of a title and its appeal to audiences which is a fine balance to get right. Um, we're an international film festival, so obviously we do want to have films from all over the world. There, there is a slight skewing towards English language selling better, but I, I don't think that's necessarily the case across the board. I'm just looking for good films, really. I mean, if they're from um, emerging filmmakers, which is another 
one of the the main aims of the festival is to support emerging filmmakers that that really helps if it's a you know first or second film then i think that gives it a little bit more of a a way into the festival so we've got the film disclosure but we're now talking to them about distribution in the uk none of that would have happened if we hadn't selected it for the festival it's a treasure hunt i always like the treasure hunt. yeah an- another thing Excellent. if i could just add something to, to that is and this year our big coup was really to preview the father the um, the anthony hopkins vehicle for which he won the oscar so that was perfect timing and have you had any prior experiences in film festival selection or film programming prior to the event? And what was it like doing this for the first time? We can start with you, Patrick. I've been programming Salisbury International Arts Festival for a long time now. And it, it's not a film festival. It's a multi-arts festival, but there's always a strong film aspect to it. It's quite different in some ways because they're always very focused on on a theme, which could be something like a geographical theme, for instance. So I'm not necessarily looking at the same broad range of new release films. I'm, you know, I'm often interested in looking at what are the classics of that particular country or part of the world, you know, along with some new films. And how about you, Jacob? Done the shorts programming the shorts uh, since it started in 2019 i did that two years in a row and then yeah this was the first time i'd really got involved with the features programming nice job to have you get to watch a lot of amazing films a lot of great work from around the world and stuff that you just would never see and, and some of them you just don't get a chance to see because we've seen we've also seen films that we tried to program for the festival that we loved but you know for one reason or another we did we couldn't program them so then you've got to kind of look out for them coming coming out elsewhere but it's quite um a privileged job to do because you get to see some films that may never be you know screened in the UK or or, or screened at all or who knows what what happens with them um and for you Chris I know you're an experienced programmer how was it like working with Cheltenham compared to Bath Broadly similar, to be honest. Um, as I said, I set up the uh, film festival in Bath in 1991, so I've been involved in programming since then. We're all trying to to achieve the same thing, really. We're trying we're trying to find as much recent and unseen good stuff as as we can. A, a lot of the stuff that we we program, well, well, an exceptional proportion this year was premiere status material which hasn't been seen before in the UK. A fair amount of it has been seen before at other festivals, but none of it has had general release yet. So we're all kind of looking for the same thing. And there's a lot a lot of us in the game now, especially since COVID came in and we've all gone online. Ultimately our audience is the same. You know, it's it's a nationwide audience. So there's there's even more of a pressing desire to find original, unique material because the chances are that another online festival has already exposed the film to a UK audience before you. That's what we're trying to avoid. Obviously films are like the most important part of a festival but it's also important to get like industry guests on and stuff so I was wondering if any of you three had any involvement in the selection of festival guests. When when I'm in negotiation with, with the sales agents once we settle things, I send them a final confirmation email. And at that point, I include a request for contact details for the director and any cast members who might be up for a, um, a Q&A or an interview. 
So, uh, Jacob or Patrick, did you have any hand in um, industry guests? I was dealing with some of the films myself. So, as, as Chris said, you, you, you know, we just introduce it into the conversation. You know, we, would you be interested in doing a Q&A? Most filmmakers are, you know, especially if it's on Zoom, then it's um, it's, it's very easy. I think the, the one that we were that we were disappointed that we couldn't sort out was aristocrats because the the director just doesn't speak any English and we didn't have access to an interpreter. But I think that was the only one that we actually sort of went after and and weren't able to sort anything out on. I know you have been able to watch quite a few films during this festival process. Any particular favourites for start with you, Jacob? Yeah, there were so many. Uh, I suppose Dinner in America was probably my favourite, actually. Um, I agree on that. I, yeah, the, thank you, thank you. I'm so, that was the one that I was, uh, when I first watched, I think I was the first person to watch it out of all of us. Um, and I just, I, I loved it and I was just couldn't wait to, for other people to watch it as well. It's got such a good energy and it's it's just such a... A different film, I suppose, and great acting as well. So, yeah, um, I think that was my top choice, although close second would be Aristocrats. I just enjoyed being in that world for, for how long the film went on. And I suppose I should mention we had some great shorts as well, and The Last Vaquita was a documentary about this porpoise, a Vaquita porpoise, um, going extinct, and the, these two artists had been commissioned to come up with a poster to to highlight this and to raise awareness and instead of just just coming up with a poster they they decided to you know pack their bags get on a a ship that goes out and fights every day to to keep this animal alive and and get a real experience of it and that's why i love doing the shorts program is there's there's so many great stories told in such short spaces of time that inspire you and it always amazes me that people can do so much in such a short space of times. And you Chris, did you have any favourites? The film I got most excited about was Disclosure, which is an Australian film which um, Patrick actually discovered initially. I just thought it was was a stunning, stunningly brilliant film. Also I really enjoyed A Tale of Three Sisters just because it, it sort of it plunged you so effectively into a, a, a totally alien culture and uh, wonderful music as well, which is always an important thing for me. Uh, and I really loved the Kubrick documentary, Kubrick by Kubrick, because it was a, an opportunity to, to listen to the man himself speaking. And he's such an enigma, Stanley Kubrick. There's so much myth, frankly rubbish, spoken about him. And he was n- notoriously reluctant to agree to interviews. So this film, Kubrick by Kubrick, which is based on a series of interviews he gave to a a French critic, Michel Simon, back in 1980, was amazingly revealing of the man himself and his working methods. And it kind of reinforced some of those stereotypical views of of him, uh, but also dashed others. So it was just, it, it did what a good documentary should do. You know, it gave you a real fresh insight in, into, into its subject. And Patrick, what would you say your particular favourites were? Um, all, all of the ones that um, Chris and Jacob have just mentioned. I'll also flag up Sweet Thing, which I thought was fantastic. It's just such mm. a beautiful film with just wonderful cinematography, captivating characters and the, the music all the way through and the references to other great films I thought was so well done. I, I, I loved that. I, I'm really looking forward to 
programming it for the roses and seeing it on a big screen because I think it would be wonderful. Um, I, I suppose if I, if I was to mention just one, I, I'd say Disclosure as well. I, I just it's an exceptional film that just needs to be seen by more people and get a conversation going. We've gone quite in depth about all of the work you three have done over the past year, but is there anything you can summarise briefly that is your favourite part about working for Cheltenham Film Festival this year? We'll start with uh, Chris. My favourite part for a conventional festival is experiencing the reaction of the audience to the films that I've been involved in programming. But of course, you don't get that in the same way with an online edition. You're aware that people are watching, but you don't get any sort of feedback. You know, it's often said that the atmosphere at a festival screening, we certainly find this in Bath, at, a, at a, a physical festival screening, if you could bottle that atmosphere and sell it, you'd make a fortune. That's sort of something that I miss with online versions of festivals. I try my best to try and get feedback from people, but generally speaking, people who watch films online don't seem to be inclined to send you feedback. You know people are watching, but you don't know what they think of the films. Jacob, would you say that there's anything particular about this year's Cheltenham Film Festival that stood out in the work that you did that you really enjoyed? Because it was the first time me programming the festival that I hadn't really realised what Chris has just said, that, that we wouldn't get that feedback. So it's been an odd one for me because we've put a lot of effort in and then it feels like we're still on that edge waiting for the result to drop. But but we're, we're through and past it and, and, and I don't know what people have thought. It will be nice to get back to a normal, in real, in real life, people, audience, um, film festival and, and experience that for the first time. Hopefully, hopefully soon. But uh, I suppose for me, I really enjoyed how difficult it was and the challenges that came up, if that, that, that sounds weird. But just having a small team of people trying to get so many different things sorted seemed like an impossible task, but yet we managed to do it. And going live that first time and, and seeing people, so the first person buy the first festival pass and the first person buy the first ticket for the films and, and realising that everything we've just done is actually working, so that was the best part for me. Well, it's the common case of the greater the challenge, the greater the reward, so... Exactly, yes. And, and it, uh, sometimes it felt too great, but we got there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I do like the buzz of sharing films with people, even if I'm not actually there when they're watching it or to see them coming out of the auditorium after watching a film. I still feel that sort of there's an immense pleasure in being able to share something with people and say, look, here's a great program of films and know that people are out there watching these and you know we do we do get bits and pieces of feedback coming in so so that's good we and i mean well i don't think we've had any negative feedback at all in terms of any of the films which is great as well because people can sometimes get really vocal when they don't like something so i'm taking that that you know we were successful in giving people what they wanted and finally what advice would you give to any of the listeners who are planning to set up a film festival patrick yeah, think very long and hard about it, about how long it's going to take, how much money it's going to cost, how difficult it's going to be. Then times all of that by 10. If you can handle that, then go for it. <laughs> and Chris? I would say start with more 
than just your personal desire. Do a little bit of market research and make sure there's actually a desire or a need. You've got a potential audience for, for this thing you're planning. And, and also, don't try and go it alone. Try and involve some other like-minded people from, from the get-go so that you can encourage each other when things get tough. I also work in community cinema where people are setting up very localised groups to show films in a village hall or something like that. And quite often it's just one person who decides, I know what I'm going to do, I'm going to show films in the, in the town hall. They launch with a, a huge wave of enthusiasm and they realise after a while that they're all on their own, they can't handle the marketing, uh, they can't get the website together. It's an easy situation to get into. So you need A, a market that you've identified and B, a certain level of resources to bring your idea to market. And finally, any advice you'd give Jacob? My main one was what Chris has just said. You need a you need a team. You need a good team. Each person with different skills and attributes, different places that they prefer to work. Um, there is a, a lot of work to get through. Um, all of it mostly enjoyable, but you have to be the kind of person that enjoys the different aspects. So someone who enjoys marketing, someone who en enjoys watching all the films, all that sort of thing. I'm going to say the opposite of what Patrick said. I think maybe once you've taken Patrick's advice, don't think about it too much. Um, it might might reflect the different roles that we had, but if you think about everything that you've got to try and do um, or everything that you possibly could do, because there there is many different ideas that you can come up with to, to make yourself more unique, it might become a bit overwhelming. So uh, I think what we did was just got on with the task in hand and, and um, finding these different films that we were really enthusiastic about was what, what drove us to keep going and drove us to solve all the different problems because we were excited to do the project. You know, getting the films first, solving that, right, we've got that, right, how do we put them online, right, we'll solve those things, right, how we're marketing it, all those sort of things going on. And the final thing, I suppose, to say something different would be to watch so many films because there was, it was one of the things that being new to the programming process that, that really stood out for me was how many films we watched that we loved, that we wanted to program, but we didn't actually manage to get to program them for whatever reason. If you're going to do a film festival of 30 films, find 60 at least and make sure that they're the ones that you really want to show and then probably don't become too precious over them because you'll find that there is a reason that you can't get certain films and you've got to just accept that and let them go but know that you've got some other great ones in store that you've and you've got those in the bag and have fun well thank you guys so much for letting us talk to you today and an even bigger thank you for setting up such a wonderfully successful festival um, thank you thanks it's good <laughs> fascinating insight into how a film festival gets made from the organisers themselves. So now we've heard from them, let's hear one of the festival's attendees, who just happens to be my co-host, Kieran. So we are here with Kieran Kelly today. How are you? I'm doing very well, Emily. Thank you very much. Perfect. So we'll dive right in. So which film in the film festival impressed you the most? Surge, which was a uh, Ben Whishaw starred in, where he plays this person that's just sort of sick of society and gives up. It was very Joker esque from the Joker film that came out two, three years ago. Mm -hmm. Also, High Ground, which was a film about the Aborigines down in Australia. I don't think Aborigines really get the attention they deserve 
in the things that they went through. And I, it was a great way to see through their sort of point of view of what they've been through. Any outstanding performances from over the films that you've watched? Quite an obvious one, but Oscar winner Anthony Hopkins from The Father, I thought played an incredible role as a sufferer of dementia. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a very sort of harrowing story and it really struck on the heartstrings occasionally when I watched it. How did you find the online festival format comparison to in-person festivals? I really enjoyed being able to watch the films on my sort of my own time because more often than not with film festivals is a case of you have a screening at seven or screening at nine o'clock. But with online festival formats, you can just buy the film and it gives you usually about four or five days to watch them. So it's nice to know that I can just do it comfortably around my schedule rather than have to rush to the theatre to catch a seven o'clock after watching one at four o'clock sort of thing. Yeah, it was very handy to fit around day-to-day life at the minute, especially with COVID. Yeah. How would you compare Cheltenham's International Film Festival to other festivals you've attended? Well, I've not been to many. I was very fortunate to go to Berlin February 2019. And it's a very big, flamboyant thing where, you know, they have all these marketing campaigns and all of Berlin is covered in Berlin Isle of Flags and all that stuff. And it's a bit, all a bit bells and whistles. But with Cheltenham, I think they try to focus on the films and the people that have made the films as well. They give them all the attention rather than trying to sugarcoat around it sort of thing. Do you think you'll come back to the festival next year? Oh, absolutely. Especially with the incredible selection of films this year. I'm of the assumption it can only grow further. So I'm very excited to see what films they can pick up next year. Now we're going to hear from Stephen Cookson, the director of the closing film Brighton. The first question for our listeners is, what is Brighton? Well, it's about four EastEnders from London who haven't been to Brighton for many, many years. And it's where they first met in their sort of late teens, early 20s. And they just decide to go down for a day trip, reminisce and have some ice cream and have a chat and get a bit of sun. And they go down there and what they realise through the story is how much Brighton has changed and, and, and we see how they haven't changed. So it's quite interesting to sort of see them out of their the comfort zone of East London. That's really what it's about. It's, there's, there's lots of subplots going on as well, but ultimately it's just, it's just a view of these characters and how they cope with society of today. I understand that you filmed this in February. How did that go? Can you imagine what, what we were thinking? Because it was the only time all the cars were available and it was literally do it in February or don't do it at all. And we had no weather cover and the majority of the film takes place with them sitting outside by this pool, you know, in deck chairs. And we were just blessed with two weeks of, of wall-to-wall sunshine. Poor Leslie Sharp, had a, particularly Leslie, had a very, very skimpy, thin sort of silk dress on and she obviously every time I said cut you know they put on all these coats and body warmers and you know uh, hot water bottles on her lap to try and keep her warm (laughs) and fed her you know with uh, with continuous hot chocolate and tea (laughs) there's one scene where she walks at the end of this pier that was the only day that it was absolutely freezing and almost sleet and she had this summer dress on so that was a bit of a problem but you know what actors are like. They don't come. They, well, these actors didn't. They were really professional. Nobody yeah. complained because they knew we had to get it done. That was Stephen Cookson discussing the brilliant film Brighton, which closed the festival and the joys of winter filmmaking. Now we hand back to Emily with another festival attendee. Now 
we can hear from Declan Shields, a regular guest from At The Flicks, speak on his own experience with the festival. So nice to meet you, Declan. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Perfect. So let's go ask you a few questions about your experience with the festival and over to Kieran. Of course, as a film festival, the obvious first question would be, uh, was there any films that stood out to you? I got the, the early pass, which was a section of five films, and the two that stood out for me probably equally were The Father, which I was very excited about, especially after the Oscar win, and Surge, because I'm a big fan of Ben Wilshaw, so uh, they were the two that stood out, and I wasn't disappointed. It- I found it quite interesting watching Ben Wishaw in that film, knowing that he was also the voice of Paddington. It was quite a interesting <laughs> mixture of characters he's played. Yeah. Um, was there any standout performances from any of the films that you watched? The two I mentioned were probably Anthony Hopkins in The Father and Ben Wishaw in um, Surge were the two standout performances. The other three films were okay, mediocre probably. I mean, it was difficult to to choose. I had to go on sort of gut instinct and it re- read up on a few of them and tried to pick the other three. It's quite the selection to choose from, so it's a bit of a sort of gamble. Yeah, I mean, normally, you know, when the festival's actually on rather than virtually, I tend to go to more in some ways because I, I'm still a big lover of the cinema rather than streaming films, that is. So what did you think of the sort of online format of a film festival compared to what it would be like in person? I thought they'd improved it this year with some of the deals. And last year's, obviously, it was a bit rushed because of COVID um, and they had to change their plans. I found last year it seemed too expensive for what I was getting. And I was also, at that point, all my film watching just stopped as soon as I couldn't go to the cinema. I, d- I, did, I tended to switch to TV because I have a real thing about not being able to watch films on a TV screen, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but because of, we've had a year of it and I've adjusted and got, you know, been forced to start to watch films not in the cinema I've got a bit more used to it and therefore this year with the added bonus of the deal I went for the five films and yeah I thought it was quite a good deal my biggest thing is the week that the Cheltenham Film Festival's on the weather always seems to be really nice Um, (laughs) which you want to go out and enjoy the sunshine rather than sit in doors and watch films so yeah difficult sometimes to watch all the films. How would you compare Cheltenham International Film Festivals to the other festivals you've attended? It's in its infancy. Um, I haven't attended that many. I've attended Stroud. I think it's the only other one I've attended. I'm pleased it started up a couple of years ago because it's a local film festival and that's brilliant for me because I've not, not managed to get to any of the London or, or, or Edinburgh or any of the other film festivals, even though I'd like to, um, because of the location and costs and everything. But um, being on my doorstep, I was really excited and I'm hoping it continues and grows and learns and adapts. Do you think you'll be back next year where it's hopefully in person? I should always be back. Personally, I think they've picked the wrong week, um, but that's just me. It's always half term. The weather's always good. And I think those two things combined, myself, I'm quite often away. The festival's on for seven or 10 days. I'm quite often away for uh, more than 50% of that, which means uh, I struggle to catch it all. Whereas I think if it was on at a time not in the school holidays, and maybe when the weather was a bit more rubbish, I'd probably go to more. It's hard to trust the British weather, isn't it? When when you're on it to be sunny, it's not, and when you're happy to stay indoors, it's beautiful. Perfect, thank you. That was Declan with his great insight of the films at Cheltenham International Film Festival. Some engaging opinions from Declan there. Now we're going to hear from director Bogdan Georgia Petri talking about his film Unidentified. This is a Romanian mystery drama which was very well received. We asked Bogdan, 
The pace of the movie is dictated by uninterrupted takes where the camera is almost constantly moving, like a character involved in the scene. How difficult was it to film in this style? Clearly, this is a more of a genre film than the typical Romanian films, but also I think it would be a mistake to consider this as, let's shoot an American movie in yeah. Romania. This wouldn't work. So you still have to be anchored in the realities of the location, the realities of the characters that I know, the realities of the small town. So it was something I did specifically. I said, let's not treat it as a fast-paced American crime thriller. Let's impose a little bit of a slower pace because I want to discover the location. I want to discover the characters. I want to discover the interactions between them. And Valencia mentioned one of my favorite scenes, the interrogation mm. with Vanel, uh, which is done in one six-minute take. Of course, it's harder to shoot. I think we did 22 takes. But at the end of it, when you know you get to the final two, three takes that are really great, there's a sense of accomplishment. Not, not as a director who's flexing his muscles and then he can congratulate himself for doing a long take, but for the interaction between the characters. Because it's really, it's different. If you start cutting in a scene as intense as that, it's, it's different. You bring a layer of artificiality to it. You're bringing, you're compressing time, you're putting shots together. Whereas if you keep it as a long six and a half or seven minute long take, you really feel the modulation, the transformations in the characters. It starts slow and uh, the interrogation turns into something else. You start on one character, you end on another character. So I think you can really different ideas can emerge out of keeping it as a one take as opposed to, to editing it and imposing your view as a director, which I think uh, in this particular case for me it was too much. But again, I wanted to keep that sense of realism. I want to keep, I want to see the, the persons interact with each other. And again, it's not just me. Uh, I collaborated with a, an incredibly good cinematographer. Uh, who also operated himself. So, for example, that particular scene, it's the cinematographer operating, and it's incredible to operate 22 times, less for seven minutes, and the camera is on the tracks and with an arm, and you go close, you go wide, you go close again. So it's an absolute collaboration between me and uh, Oleg Mutu, is the name of the cinematographer. He, of course, is very famous um, as well. But it was something that we, both of us, uh, consciously pursued. Uh, let's have a thriller, but not an American thriller, not a Romanian thriller, but something genuine, something in between. Um, it's also interesting that we didn't talk that much about influences. So me and Oleg, we'd never said, hey, we like this kind of a movie, let's go more towards that. Or, we like this kind of a movie, let's go more towards that direction. It was literally every morning trying to see what we had in front of our eyes. Okay, we have this location, we have these characters, we have this kind of a light. Now let's find a way to tell the scene. So that's why also during shooting and editing, I stopped watching movies because I don't want to be subconsciously biased in one way or another. So no, I just have this on my hand, this material, let's edit it, uh, edit it together. And editing then becomes uh, a question of pacing more than just cutting and intercutting. Of course, every cut, when you have... 500 cuts, every cut is less important if you have only 100. And in this movie, I think I had 160 cuts or something like this. So still not a large number, but not a very small number. And I'm going to give an example of the second movie, which is finished already, part of the trilogy. And some characters are coming back, including Bogdan, only has 40 shots. So I devised a completely new way of approaching that particular story because it matched the content very well. So that was very difficult. We literally have a two-hour movie made of 41 shots. So 
to me, unidentified, all, it's almost a fast paced uh, compared to that one. Compared to the second one, it's a fast paced thing. Of course, it's not. Also, what I love about the style that I devised with Oleg Mutu is that you don't realize necessarily there are long takes. It's not those kind of takes uh, where it's a tour de force kind of a thing where you say, oh my God, look what a beautiful long take. It's unbelievable what they did here. You don't even notice it because the camera moves, because it's basically a few shots who would have been normal shots normally, but they've been merged and put together so it becomes a long take so I, I like that kind of approach it's a long take but it doesn't draw attention to itself i'm sure you agree that was a very comprehensive answer for bogdan now let's return to vox pops and kieran i understand you're going to talk to another at the flicks team member yes at the Flix co-founder, Neil Kopas joins us next to give us his thought-provoking opinions on the films at Cheltenham International Film Festival. So, we are here with Neil, an attendee at Cheltenham Film Festival. Neil, how are you? Very well, thank you. Brilliant. So, uh, which film in the festival impressed you the most? Um, i got two, really. I'd unidentified and Sisters Apart. So, Unidentified, it's, it all starts like a police procedural there's fires. They're looking to find out who it who has been setting fire to hotels and everything. And the inspector takes the file off the uh, captain and says, "No, I'll do it. I know how to do it. Deal with this. I've got a suspect." And then it just sort of slowly changes. The final third is brilliant. And then there's a just a tiny little twist in the end. It, it, the main actor is excellent. He's so intense. He appears to be a dedicated cop, and it just there's some edge about him. And as a, as a very slow reveal, it's brilliant. As you go through it, uh, while he's the whole thing is changing around 180 degrees, you realise his life is just basically crumbling, and his financial situation is a, a complete disaster. And the course the institutional racism of the police and he just takes advantage of everything it's it is a very clever film i loved it the twist is so clever there is something <laughs> about a, a police thriller that is quite intriguing i find yes this one subverts it yeah um, since the the guy who is investigating the fires then starts it's a very slow two hour uh, two hours of him making the crime setting it up or very carefully setting it up and then you you see it almost a sort of police procedural in reverse as he actually carries the crime out all through it is this institutional racism of the police that even though he makes a mistake, towards the end, the twist is is right at the end. He finds out his, his massive error, and the police um, uh, captain just says, well, there must have been two of them. You obviously didn't see this guy at the scene because he, he'd been knocked over by a van down the, down the bottom of the valley, uh, and, and must have been two of them. And, and the comment, they all look alike. It's a, it's a very interesting. It's set in Romania, and uh, yeah, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. It, it is gripping and quite disturbing as well. And the whole music seems to be completely odds at the storyline, which is bizarre. Yeah, uh, I think he's a great story storyteller. Well, that's the that's the first thing in a film, isn't it? You kind of need the good story to start with. 
You do, yes. Yeah. And it, it, this it, this really is. This drags you in. Uh, it, it, uh, it could be just a standard police procedural, but it really does drag you in. And the other one was Sisters Apart. It's a, a Kurdish-Iraqi family that was split up. The young child, Rodja, was um, sent to an aunt, I think, in uh, Germany. And now, 20 years later, she's a German soldier. Her mother is now in a refugee camp, and the other sister is, is uh, missing. She is so determined. It's, it's, it's hard not to root for everything she does, even though she starts making mistakes for her career, things that she knows she shouldn't do. But she is so persistent. It is... and you get such a good idea of that sort of the, the Kurds and their plight um, woven around this story. It's very clever. So I think I probably won't say much more than that because I really think Sisters Apart should be seen. That's, a, that's, a, that's an absolute must. I must write that one down because I haven't... I've been quite a fan of um, watching films through the lens of other sort of people much more different to me in much more different societies and yes and, stuff. and and the plight of the kurds is a, a global disgrace really mm. and the director is daphne charizani who has has highlighted the plight of the kurds from the two different generations as well the mother is disappointed to be taken out of the holding camp for refugees because she's got friends there as soon as she's rescued out of there then the um, rodia um, the the main character, uh, played by Emilia Bagrachik, she, she comes out of this refugee camp, and she looks at the ha- at the uh, flat that she's got, the the daughter has got, and she and she looks around and goes, "Oh, where's my other daughter?" And you just think, "Hang on, you've put all this work to it," and then she she gets a posting to Erbil in Iraq. Of course, the um, military don't know why she's trying to get a posting. She's really doing too much. But yeah, and there's a nice little twist at the end as well. So um, this is this is a difficult one to talk about because I don't want to ruin it. But this is a film that everybody should see. How did you find the online festival format in comparison to in-person festivals? It's very easy. I mean, it's such an it's such a simple layout, isn't it? just got it in front of me they've got all the films i like the fact that you've got cut off point for each one so you can you know when you've got to watch it by uh, whether it's available now etc when it's available when it's cut off it's very very simple it's all listed out uh, there's i don't think you can make it any simpler to be honest um, yeah i find it much easier having that schedule even just on my phone so i can just look at it in the yes. evening and see what film I, I have time to watch. Yeah, I'm looking on a ma- on, on a monitor. Um, I haven't tried on my phone, actually. It'd be interesting. I can't see that any, it would be any diff- different, rather. Yeah, everything's there. How to watch feature, uh, frequently asked questions, try, tickets and passes. Yeah, fantastic. How would you compare the Cheltenham Film Festival to any others you might have uh, attended in the past? The, I suppose well, it's quite the, a difficult the, question. Yeah, it is. It I mean, online. yeah, I mean, the, the, they've got one or two big ones, I guess, the father, because that's Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman. Um, but generally, it's films you're not likely to see, which I think is a good thing. In comparison to like the big film festivals, it's just nice that it's quite laid back and. Yes. I remember, yeah. Yes, the, the big film festivals have got the major 
major things which they push and then there's not so many of these little things i should have watched loads more unfortunately i didn't do you think you'll come back to the festival next year yes yes it'll be in cinemas by then hopefully well thank you very much neil for letting us chat to you today it's my pleasure thank you cheers That was a far more coherent answer than Jeff said Neil would give. Handing over to Emily to talk to another festival director, this time about the festival hit Sisters Apart. We are now going to talk to the director, Daphne Sharazani, and her film Sisters Apart. This is a very strong film about identity, so when we caught up with Daphne, we asked, There are a number of powerful scenes featuring the main character and her mother. What was the motivation for this mother and daughter dynamic? For me, it was in my mind, the mother is part of one part of her own you know which she struggles uh, for me the mother and the sister are parts of Rojda herself which are not coming out like this but she understands the mother that's why she also does all all these things it's an ambivalent relation between the two of them but it also ambivalent in Rojda herself, these two uh, forces. And the mother is one real force for me, also outside like a person, but also inside Rojda herself. As As a mother myself with two daughters, I really identified with your story because you have unique relationships, and she does with each daughter. And you could see that it, Dylan almost could do no wrong. You get a sense, yeah. and she's the she's the the younger sister who's tried to you know save the family and do everything right. And I thought that was so realistic in a story that any sister could relate to or any woman could relate to in that in that triangular relationship. So, but set against immigration and war at the same time was such a fabulous kind of balance that you you managed there. So I really enjoyed that. A wonderful response from Daphne. If you haven't seen Sisters Apart, I would urge you to go check it out. We're going back to Kieran, who is going to introduce me to you again. So here's Emily with her thoughts on the film programme this year. I'm here with Emily, uh, an attendee at Cheltenham Film Festival. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm fantastic. Seeing as it's a film festival, we'll start with the obvious question. Uh, is there any films that impressed you more than others? Um, I think I'd have to say of all of them, Dinner in America did kind of catch my attention quite a lot. At the beginning, I thought it was quite weird. Wasn't really sure about it at the beginning, but slowly going through it, it got quite quirky. I loved the colouring and the sound. And just afterwards, I just couldn't stop singing the songs at the end. And I just kept wanting to rewatch it. So I think so far, that's my favourite. Yeah, I managed to uh, get to watch that as well. And uh, the music was quite a highlight of it. Yeah, I think it was really impressive. Was there any uh, standout performances from these films as well? I would have to say from Oscar and Lily, I think it's an Austrian film. There's a grandma who had to pretend that she had Parkinson's and I used to know a family friend who used to have it. So it was it was quite impressive to see like the acting skills in that and how realistic it looked. So, yeah, great acting there. So uh, how did you find the online format compared to the uh, in-person as we would usually do without this coronavirus going about i think luckily the way that it's been formatted and 
like presented to the public it's made it very easy to feel like everyone's been involved including the trailers and things like that especially with the website it was so easy to navigate and still felt like other people were watching it with me and it just it was yeah it was as annoying as it is that we can't do it all in person and hopefully we can later in the year but no I still really enjoyed it and it was not too hard to use either awesome how would you have compared the Cheltenham Film Festival to perhaps any other film festivals that you might have attended in the past um I would say that Cheltenham has a a very good skill of like making feeling everyone that's involved getting them excited for the films and it's nice to see like the amount of range of films that they've accepted and included and it just yeah it makes you look forward to watching them a lot so they've done a great job do you think you'll be back next year 100 percent. quite excited to see what films could be released and yeah um very excited for next year brilliant well thank you very much for your time thank you That was Emily with some insightful thoughts on the films from this year's festival. So far, we've spoken to festival organisers, attendees and filmmakers. Now all that's left is to talk to the man himself. Leslie Sheldon is the founder and festival director of the last three Cheltenham International Film Festivals. And he'll be speaking on why he created the film festival in Cheltenham, as well as the successes of this year's festival. Here's Kieran and myself talking all things Cheltenham with Leslie. I'm Kieran. I'm here with festival founder and director Leslie Sheldon. Leslie, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. The festival ended a few days ago, and I thought I would be a bit more relaxed. But in fact, we have this other, should I say, streaming platform called Your Screen. And we're selecting films for Your Screen. So it seems to be year round. But the festival is over, and it was very successful. So I'm delighted. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Why did you choose Cheltenham as a location for an international (laughs) film festival? Well, it was very simple. I chose it because they didn't have a film festival. If you look around the world, it seems that every town and city in every country has a film festival. As you'll probably know, there are thousands. And yet Cheltenham prides itself on being the festival town. And it does have a long tradition of festivals, literature going back 70 years, jazz, music more recently science, poetry, and yet it didn't have a film festival. Quite extraordinary. So the decision was very easy. I thought, let's do it. So what has made this year's festival stand out from the lab two? Well, the first one, we had to learn the ropes. The second one, we had to go online because of the pandemic. So we had to learn new ropes. And what made this third one stand out was that for the first time we were doing something that we think we understood. For me, what stood out was that we were able to get good films and we were able to get interviews with filmmakers. I think the reputation of Cheltenham International Film Festival is growing. And we had people like Stephen Frears, for example, We were delighted that we sold more tickets this year than we did the previous two years. I suppose what is is standing out is that while we went online for part one of the film festival, part two of the film festival will be live, and that will be in October, and we'll be linking that with Black History Month. We're delighted, firstly, to be able to have a live event. We're delighted to be able to link that with Black History Month. And whereas last year we were the first international film festival in the UK to to go online and stream, 
we're delighted with this new experiment of doing a hybrid of doing an online event and doing a live event. Did you have any particular films amongst the program that you enjoyed? Well, firstly, I have to uh, be honest and say that I didn't watch all of the films, even though I did watch a lot of the films. It's an extensive list to get through. So. It, it, it is. We actually had one person watch every single film, a member of the public. So that was quite a feat. If I focus on the five films that were nominated for Best Film, Emerging Director, I, I really liked all of them. The winner was, uh, and we had an excellent jury, uh, eight people from, I could say, around the world, because we had one jury member from Germany, we had one jury member from Iran, uh, the rest were in the UK, but they were all very serious people. They selected I Never Cry as the best film, which was directed by Polish director Piotr Domalewski, and that one best film, and I watched that twice, and I really enjoyed that. And it goes to show you the power of winning an award because throughout the festival, I Never Cry uh, was towards the bottom end of the film popularity stakes in terms of people buying tickets. But once we had announced the award, and we only had a couple of days before the festival ended when we announced the winner of the best film, and lo and behold, everybody then piled in to buy tickets to watch it. So it became the um, number one foreign language film that we showed. But all of the ones that we had in the, in the list, Disclosure, the Australian film, Wet Season from Singapore, Aristocrats from Japan, and Identified from Serbia were all very good films and I enjoyed them all. What issues arose when creating an online festival that you wouldn't have had in person? Well, that's a very complicated question to answer. Uh, certainly when you negotiate for a film to be screened at a film festival and you're negotiating with sales agents, maybe distributors, they're more than happy to give you the film because they know that the film will be screened once and it will not, so to speak, break that distribution window of theatrical onto DVD, onto television, and so on and so forth. And sales agents and distributors are quite protective of that. When you're streaming a film festival, firstly, we're showing it on more than one occasion to more than one audience, so already that gives some concern. And the fact that it's streaming and online means that, in a sense, it has broken that theatrical window so that if they want to get a theatrical distribution, exhibitors can say, well, look, this has already appeared online, so we're not interested. Given the pandemic and given the fact that people are understanding there is this uh, different, unique situation, exhibitors tend to understand that. But nevertheless, it, it is still something that we had to battle with when talking to sales agents and distributors. They, were a little reluctant, and they are a little reluctant to give us a film to stream before it has a theatrical release. So that was the main problem. Would you be able to go a little bit more in depth into this hybrid? How are you going to approach this hybrid idea of half online, half in person in October for the part two of the festival? In terms of the live event, we did last year try to do workshops online and I could tell 
it didn't have the same impact. And when we got feedback from some of the young people taking part in the workshops, they also felt that it didn't have the same immediacy and they didn't feel as connected to the people who were conducting the workshops. And the same is true of Q&As with filmmakers. When we did a Q&A online with filmmakers, where we again felt there was a bit of a disconnect with the audience. So online or streaming this year, we did two things. One is, for example, with the uh, Stephen Frears that we had in conversation, we just did an interview with him. We didn't do any Q&As because it was much more difficult to do a Q&A than doing a straight interview. And we decided not to do any workshops or masterclasses uh, and we, we're saving that for the live event. So in October, when we go live, we will be doing workshops uh, with uh, film professionals and young people. We, th we think that element does work better live than online. And it also, uh, we may be getting different types of films because we, we will be streaming films or screening films during the live event. And we may be able to get films that, we wouldn't get for an online event. So there, there, there is that uh, difference. What workshops would you like to arrange for future film festivals? Well, we have done cinema photography and we've done editing and costume design and some of those disciplines that you would expect us to, to do. I think it would be fun and we haven't done any workshops on visual effects. I think visual effects is fascinating because there is so much that can be done now. So I would like to do one on visual effects, special effects, and there are some excellent people uh, around that we feel we could bring. And we, we think that would be very, very popular for a masterclass. You know, for some of our workshops where we want to appeal to, to young people who maybe come from more deprived sections of the community, We'd like to do workshops on making a, a film on a mobile phone because most young people have access to a mobile phone and it's just a matter of tapping into their creativity. So we know people that have made films on mobile and we'd like to do workshops on that so that young people feel involved. And even if they don't have access to camera or sound equipment, at least they can make a film on a mobile phone that gives them an intro into filmmaking and uh, allows them to get in touch with their own creativity. What would you say are the necessities of like a successful film festival and like how would you go about directing a successful festival? Well, I, I think it's necessary to have blind faith, um, to have an iron nerve, tenacity and to be crazy. It's more of a can-do. When we started in 2019, or when I started the film festival, I had no idea. I've attended film festivals, and, and I thought, well, why don't I do Cannes in Cheltenham? Well, <laughs> it's not that easy, but I had no idea. You know, because I, I knew about film, and I've been involved in the film industry. It doesn't mean that I, you know, that I knew what to do about a film festival. So I basically learned on the job, made a lot of mistakes, I tried to surround myself with some good people and the good people being that they didn't know anything about film festivals, but they all wanted to learn. So it, it, it was the attitude which allowed us to be successful from year one. And then 
we had to go through it all over again last year because on the 23rd of March, when the government announced a lockdown and we were all prepared to go forward with a live film festival, I told uh, my colleagues on the 24th of March, we're, we're going to put this whole film festival online. And they all said, you're crazy. What do you mean? And I said, I don't know what I mean, to be quite honest. Suppose you can do it. They said, well, do you know what to do? And I said, no, I have no idea. Let me Google it. <laughs> so I started Googling things and came across information. But uh, we eventually came across a, a New Zealand company called Shift72. They had a platform that we could upload our films onto uh, and stream them. It was a huge and very steep learning curve because between the 24th of March and the 8th of June, when we became the first film festival to stream online in the UK, didn't give us much time. So we had a very steep learning curve. We uploaded 40 films, a lot of new films. Uh, we organized 10 Q&As from around the world. It was basically a can-do attitude. Uh, that's what allowed us to be successful. You know, you know what they, they, they say, Kieran, I don't know whether you know the old expression, anything in terms of success is 90% uh, perspiration and 10% inspiration. And it's that 90% perspiration which will, you know, allow you to be successful or not. It's not accepting no for an answer. So when you're dealing with film distributors or sales agents and they say no, you say, why not? Say, you know, and you keep going back and back driving people crazy, um, driving yourself crazy, in my instance, driving my wife crazy. <laughs> it's attitude, really is attitude. And the, and the other thing, Karen, is uh, I had to talk to a lot of people, a lot of people, and convince them and get them to buy into my, some people said it was a dream, but to buy into my, my ideas, because we got a lot of people contributing their time contributing their efforts as volunteers. And they weren't volunteers out of school. These were people with a lot of years of experience and knowledge, which I had to tap into. And, and, and they were giving me their time and effort because they believed in what I was trying to do. So, you know, you, you really have to get people to buy into your, into your concept and ideas. And it also people in the community who contributed, who put in money, who, who did all that. It, it was an almighty effort. While streaming can be seen as a competition to regular cinemas, it has been a boost in keeping festivals going. Would you agree with that statement? I absolutely would not. <laughs> I don't agree with that at all. Because uh, it, it, it's not a competition, it's complementary. Streaming uh, and, uh, you know, with your screen, um, as a year-round streaming uh, platform, we see ourselves as complementing live venues. We don't see ourselves conflicting. We see ourselves as giving a second or a third screen to, to live cinemas. So if you're a film exhibitor and you're screening a film to an audience, well, why not have a second screen or a third screen that's virtual and be able to screen, a, you know, another film to a different audience. Uh, as a cinema independent exhibitor, you're then adding to your income stream without incurring any extra cost vis-a-vis -vis an overhead. There are no extra overheads. You're just 
generating income from a second screen. It also allows us, in terms of what we're doing, both with your screen and with the festival to support emerging filmmakers, because we're giving more opportunity for filmmakers to screen or screen their films that they wouldn't have if we didn't have virtual screenings as a complement to live cinema. It's also allowing audiences that are just unable to visit a cinema, either because they have some disability or because geography or socioeconomic uh, circumstances or family or transportation. There are many reasons why people can't visit a cinema. But by partnering with independent exhibitors and live cinemas, we're able to allow them to reach out to audiences that wouldn't ordinarily visit their cinema. So we do see ourselves as a complement. And digital is growing. And in a sense, just whereas the likes of Spotify and streaming music took over from DVDs, we see streaming not totally replacing live cinema because there is an experience that you get when you go to a cinema, but it's certainly a complement. And digital or streaming isn't going away. So we need to find ways of working together. And I, and I think that is very much the way that people are thinking now. Would you say it's easier or more difficult to get directors to commit when the festivals are online or in person? It's easier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so difficult because it's not only directors, it's actors. Um, because what happens is physically it's easier to get them online and they perhaps don't mind doing that. But when they're live, especially if they're working, and even in pre-production, actors and directors are so focused on what they're doing that to get them to take time to do anything other than focus on the film that they're doing is very difficult. Uh, for example, we had an actress who was in one of the films that we were screening during the festival, and we wanted her to do an interview. And she said, look, I'm doing a new television series. I, I really have to focus on that. I did the film two years ago. It's gone. It's out of my mind. Because when, when a film comes out and you see actors and directors going all over the play, place promoting the film, it's fresh in their minds. This is what they're doing. They're promoting this film. And they're obliged quite often to do interviews. But when, in our case, we're showing a film that may have been let's say even if it was released in 2020, the chances are it was filmed in 2019. So you're going back almost two years ago and an actor or a director will say, look, you know, sorry, uh, I, I, I've moved on. It may be, you know, if they're at home, or they don't have to go somewhere, uh, they'll say fine. And it's also cheaper for us because if we're bringing uh, an actor from LA and that's the other thing, or a director, um, it, it's costly for us. And he may say, gosh, you know, what, you want me to go to Cheltenham from L.A., uh, what, to do uh, an hour's Q&A? Not really. Whereas if you do it online, it's much easier. What advice would you give to upcoming filmmakers? Uh, this one is so easy. So, so very easy. Um, and um, gosh, you need to watch the films of directors 
that have that uh, have been successful through the decades, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, 70s. You need to read books by them and about them. And uh, I, I'm sorry, this is really something that annoys me tremendously. Uh, I, I find that uh, young students of film uh, in the UK uh, have such a little idea about the history of film. And, and uh, I uh, compare that, for example, um, I spent half the year in Poland. And I don't know whether you know, there is a very famous film school in Poland, in Łódź. And the Łódź Film School has turned out some of the great directors and cinema photographers throughout the decades in terms of directors, you know, Wajda, Kieślowski, uh, Polanski, and, and more. And, and all the cinema photographers, most of them have a ski at the end of their name <clears throat> because they, they've all come out of, out of that school. And when you talk to students at the Wood Film School, you can mention any director from the 30s or actor from the 30s or the 40s or the 50s, and they will immediately give you chapter and verse about that director, about that actor, uh, about the actress, because they, they study the history of film. I was talking to uh, the head of film at uh, the University of West of England, and he said his biggest um, complaint is that they don't have the history of film in the curriculum. I really do think that anybody who wants to be a filmmaker should watch films of, you know, directors, uh, actors from the past, read their books. You know, it's a, it's a passion. You want to watch three films every day. You want to be so passionate that you want to watch all these filmmakers and understand them and know what they've done, quite honestly. And if that passion isn't there, I just don't see it. Yes, sure. Thank you very much, Leslie. It was lovely talking to you. Do you agree with what I said? What are you studying? Uh, producing. Producing. And, and this is absolutely true. And it happens here as well. If you're producing a film, and I've spoken to agents and studio people out in LA and here, and I've made the mistake. I said um, to them, I've got a script. Maybe you'd be interested. Do you want to read it? And they laugh at me. They said, I don't read scripts. I've never read a script. Just tell me what the budget is and tell me who's in it. If you've got a budget of $3 million and Tom Cruise has agreed to do it, I don't need to read the script. Have you got like Tom that. Cruise and it's a budget $3 million? <laughs> so, but, so you have producers who know nothing about creativity. They know nothing about film. They're business people. So, uh, Emily, if you want to be that type of producer, fine. You know, lots of producers like that. And people will come to you with scripts, Emily, and you'll say, look, you know, don't, don't bore me with that. Just tell me who's in it, what the budget is, and I'll let you know. But if you want to be a creative producer and you want to have some input, then obviously you need to be able to know film directors. You need to be able to know what they've done, what they're capable of doing, and so on and so forth. And I'm pleased, Emily and Kieran, you took part. I, I'm so delighted that I'm you... I'm very you know, thankful for the opportunity yeah, as well. You. you know, I'm so delighted, you know, because... Again, and I'm just going to finish on this, um, I, I tend to be quite frank in my, in, in, in my thoughts. It, it's e not easy. You know, when you make a submission to raise funds, whether for a film festival or, or let's say, um, 
from the BFI, the British Film Institute and what have you, they very easily have in their criteria oh, uh, diversity, inclusion, young people, diversity, inclusion, young people, minority, all that. It's not that easy. It really is not that easy. I go out to schools. I go out to universities. I go out to charities, try to get them engaged. And it's not easy. They don't get engaged. They don't get involved. When people like you, Karen and Emily and, and, and others, when you guys get involved, you know, at least that demonstrates to me there is some commitment, some passion. And, uh, you know, it's great. I, I'm really grateful. I end on a high note. Are, are you final year? Second year. Second year. We'll be going into third year now in September. Oh, good. It'll be good so to one, keep one in contact. Left. No, it'll be good to keep in contact. So oh, I can yes, let you know yeah, other things that we're doing. I really appreciate your time. Thank That's you. That's good of you. Thanks very much. That was Leslie rounding off on another incredibly successful film festival. I, for one, took a lot of what Leslie said on board. But that's not all. The 2021 Cheltenham International Film Festival will continue on to its second part in October, which should hopefully be in person. Covid be damned! (laughs) It's time now to return at the flicks to its true hosts, Graham and Jeff. Hopefully they haven't become too accustomed to letting us do all the work and actually return to the podcast. But in all seriousness, a massive thank you to our incredible hosts and mentors, Graham and Jeff, for letting us be a part of this amazing show. We've been your hosts, Emily and Kieran. We hope you enjoyed, and with any luck, you'll hear from us again soon.